So Philippians chapter 2, we're going to start at uh, verse 1. I'm going to read down through verse 4, and then if we get uh, time to go in a little further, we will. That that next section, I love that next section. I can't help myself. I love that next section. It's so powerful. And we, we talked about it when we put the names on the cross. Um, chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore, if there's any consolation or comfort in Christ, if any comfort of love, if any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and mercy, fulfill my joy by being like-minded, having the same love, being of one accord, of one mind. Let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit, but in loneliness of mind, let each esteem others better than himself. Let each of you look out not only for his own interests, but also for the interests of others. The Word of God, the people of God. Amen. This word if, I know it, it, when someone uses the word if in a sentence, it means there's a possibility that it, that's the opposite could be true. Like, if we wake up in the morning, we're going to go here. There's a possibility we might not because of the word if, right? There's no guarantee in this, right? Well, Paul is using it, shall we say, rhetorically. When he says, if there is any consolation or comfort in Christ, the if there is not, uh, possibly not there. But he wants the listener, or the reader, if you will, to understand that they may not have experienced it yet. There are a lot of people who have a relationship with Jesus Christ that have not experienced comfort of love or consolation in Christ. You know, there are many people at different levels of the walk of faith. And he also says, if there's any fellowship of the Spirit and if any affection and mercy, if any of this is true, and and we all know this is true, we know without question, or I pray we do, that there's comfort of love. I can think of nothing else more comforting than to know that I am loved by God. That there will be another day. That there will be a, a forever. That He loves me like that. I know in the worst moments of my life, uh, when I thought the whole world had turned its back on me, my mother would still answer the phone. And she loved me. That comfort of love gave me a safe place in this world. And so love comforts us when we know we're loved by someone who will welcome us home no matter what. And, and if we don't have that kind of place, the world gets cold and lonely, doesn't it? It can be a very sad place. So there is comfort of love, but if you've never experienced that by going through needing it, you may not know it, but it is there. And the consolation in Christ, um, that might be better stated encouragement in Christ. Or another way of saying that is uh, exhortation, building up. So if there's any, um, if Christ encourages you, right? If you have a relationship with Jesus Christ and you're not encouraged, I don't know which Jesus you got. But you should have a Jesus that definitely builds you up. 
Gives you confidence and courage in all situations. Faith is like that. When we have faith in Christ, we're, we're more confident. We have strength in adversity. A lot of people quote Philippians 4.13, you know, coming up in a couple of chapters where it says, I can do all things through Christ that gives me strength. That is because there's encouragement in Christ. We know that the God of all the universe, all creation, is on our side and there's nothing too difficult for Him. We may not know that until we come to a place where something is too difficult for us. Well, we faced a situation where God had to do something. And I know, Ginger, you've seen miracles in the hospital where people came through that only God could have done it. I mean, there was a time a few years ago where you said it was a miracle that the doctors were all there at the right place at the right time. Mm-hmm. And there have been times in our lives when, when people were there at the right time at the right place for the right reason and they had no sense being there. That is Christ working things out on our behalf. And then looking back, we can see that He encouraged us. And here's how I like to look at that. If you go through the Psalms or the Old Testament, you'll see that the Israelites wandered for 40 years, right? And they start to grumble every now and then. And so what they would do is they would have these feasts several times a year. And those feasts would be a reminder of what God did for them. So they wouldn't forget what God had done so they'd be encouraged to remain faithful to God. Sometimes your last blessing was a long time ago, but you still need reminded of it. That God can still do that. One of my favorite songs many years ago, was a song called He'll Do It Again. Have you ever heard that song? Where it talks about the same God that led the Israelites through the Red Sea is the same God who loves you and me. And if He's done it before and you need it, He'll do it again. God can do it again. It's that comfort and confidence that encourages us to keep going forward when life gets hard. But if life doesn't ever get hard, you may never know the consolation that's in Christ or the, the encouragement. And you also might not know the comfort of love if you never needed it and didn't have it. So those things are experiential. And the third one is, if there's any fellowship of the Holy Spirit. I, I like how people take this idea of the fellowship of the Spirit there's a lot of people who don't really understand it real well, and so they kind of put their own spin on it. Uh, especially like this, it's like, oh, we had a great time at church. It was such wonderful fellowship of the Holy Spirit. Everybody was talking and getting along together, and we were just shaking hands, and I could tell the fellowship of the Holy Spirit was there. I'm going to just sound like a feel-good meeting, not a fellowship of the Holy Spirit, right? Fellowship of the Holy Spirit, that's not quite the same thing, right? And so, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit isn't just this thing where everybody's getting along. Where we had a good meeting at church this morning, therefore we had the fellowship in the Holy Spirit. 
The fellowship of the Holy Spirit is a lot different. Once you experience it, you go, oh, I've been settling for a whole lot less. Because the Holy Spirit fellowship is between you and the Holy Spirit. And if you don't know what that means to have a fellowship with the Holy Spirit... This is something we need to have a deeper discussion on and explore this a little deeper. Because the fellowship of the Spirit is between you and the Holy Spirit. And if the Holy Spirit isn't your best friend in this world, you're going to be hurting. You'll be struggling a lot. Because the Holy Spirit's your, your guide. So, again... Experiential. Paul is going further. A lot of folks have found encouragement by knowing who Jesus is when they're first born again and the relationship. A lot of people have found that the love that they had sought for their whole life and found comfort in that in struggles. But the, the fellowship of the Holy Spirit, a lot of folks haven't understood that because it's been a lot of stigma, uh, misunderstanding of it. Uh, people spooked by the word Holy Spirit. Some people even... Uh, back in the day, would would argue whether it should be said Holy Spirit or Holy Ghost. They said they were two different things. And I'm thinking it's the same word, just translated different. The word's pneuma. means spirit, it means ghost. Same thing. Um, so, a lot of arguing on that because they didn't understand. So I know if someone's saying that kind of argument about the Holy Spirit, Holy Ghost... Is the whole thing they're talking about. And they really don't know what this fellowship's about. And they don't know what it's like to have the Holy Spirit wash over you and baptize you. Now, a lot of folks don't understand that in a lot of Protestant traditions because charismatics have really thrown that out the roof and thrown it all over the place. But the Scripture and John Wesley taught that all believers should be baptized by the Holy Spirit. And that's not what a lot of the charismatic churches are showing. But there are some churches who are doing it the right way and they're very effective at helping people have a fellowship with the Spirit. But if you don't know about that, if you don't know about it, then you can't do the then, right? So if you don't know these things, you can't do what's next. So the fourth one, though, before we get to the, what's next, is if there's any affection and mercy... Bible says, if any bowels. Bowels of mercy. Okay. Yeah, bowels. bowels. The word splagnizo. Okay. That's the Greek word. And it's this deep groaning within of compassion for someone. Like if you've ever had God just wrench you so bad and say, oh, I just got to help them. I just got to. And just feel this overwhelming sense of care for someone that you may not even know. You may. But this deep groan within yourself said, oh, I've got to do something. I can't do nothing. I've got to. I've got to. That's spagnizo. That's the affection. And we're not talking about like, that's yeah, my buddy. Not talking about that. This is a, a godly affection and compassion that leads to uh, compassion and mercy on somebody. If you never had that come over you... Um, 
And I don't mean like if you're watching those TV commercials where they're showing starving children. Oh, you should have mercy. You go, yeah, I probably should have. That's guilt. <laughs> I'm talking about when you just can't sit still. Because you know that God is challenging you to do something about this situation. That is splagnizo. When Jesus groaned in his spirit at the grave of Lazarus, that was splagnizo. When he groaned and said, how long do I have to put up with you, oh you little faith? That was splagnizo. That's the kind of deeper passion from the Holy Spirit within that's stirring you to do something, to act. And if you've experienced any of that, even some of it, at any level, he says, then fulfill my joy, this is Paul saying this, by being like-minded, having that same love, and being of one accord and of one mind. Now all of a sudden, it sounds like, at first glance, he's saying, be like-minded as I am. And that's not what he's saying. If you look carefully, he says, being like-minded, having the same love, one accord, one mind, the same love that is from Christ. And if you fulfill these things in the church and in the community around you, and if the church is acting on these four things, these ifs, this will fulfill and cause the same godly love between the people. It's hard to explain what this looks like in a church, but I can tell you what it looked like for me when I saw it in action one day. I was working, I guess you might say volunteering, uh, at a homeless shelter in Chicago. The, uh, and of course, being a, I was a youth pastor at the time. I was a young 20s. And uh, went down there, took a couple youth there. We were all going to go minister to the homeless people, right? We were going to do the godly thing. We felt like this is what we should do. And, and I'd had some history in seminary of working with some homeless folks at the homeless shelter in Dayton, Ohio. And so I'm thinking, this is going to be a lot of fun. We're going to do this. We're going, to, we're going to bless them and it's just going to be great. And we get up there and I'm thinking that I'm going to tell them about Jesus and how much He loves them and I'm going to help them grow. It didn't happen like that. And neither did it happen for the youth that went with me. As a matter of fact, what happened was as the men, and this was a men's shelter, came through the line they actually ministered to us. Young boy, I think, I think his name was Ralph. He's about 19 years old. And uh, he come through the line. I'd been to that shelter and work before. And he recognized me. He said, it's good to see you. I just want to let you know God has really blessed me. I finally got a place. And pretty soon I won't need to come here anymore. But thank you so much for being willing to come. And, and showing these young folks what it's like to love people. And I'm going, how am I supposed to help you love when you're already loving me better than I can love you? You know, like that. But it's the same love. And it's the love that 
he experienced at that homeless shelter that made him give it back to the people who were working there and to the next generation. Because if that love is real, you want the same love to be experienced by others so you can share it with the next set of folks. And the the sad thing about it is, is God has no grandchildren. They all are children. We all got to come to faith of our own. I can't get to heaven on the coattails of my parents and my grandparents' faith. I have to believe for myself. Same way with my children. Same way with our children. Same way with grandchildren. We cannot believe for them. But the love of God which compels us, which causes us to love others with this deep, sincere love, with the power of the Holy Spirit active at the right moment to do something that God churns with us, we got to do it. That kind of love will transform a life in such a way that they'll say, I don't know why you did that for me. Can you honestly, honestly tell God why you deserved His Son to be dying for you? Can you honestly tell God, your Son died for me because I deserve it? No. You can't tell God that, you know, there's something about you that He should have done that. And it's the moment when this Blagnizzo comes that people receive it that I needed that, but I didn't think it was possible. And I don't know how you knew. And they attribute it back to God. And, and it transforms them in such a way to say, you know, and, and this stuff's real. And they get convinced so that there is an encouragement in Christ in that moment and there's comfort in love. They experience that. And so if we've been a part of that with them, now that same love, that same mind begins to work together to be in one accord doing things for the same reason together. So in other words, if two people have come to faith and they bring some other folks to faith, those folks should be working together for the same purpose in the kingdom of God. Does that make sense? I think that kind of says it in the way Paul's trying to say it. And then he says, just to make sure we're in the same mind, in verse 3, let nothing be done through selfish ambition or conceit. We're not doing this for ourselves. I'm not doing this to feel good about myself. I'm not doing this to look good, to feel good, to make me better. I'm doing this out of love. It says, in lowliness of mind, let each other esteem others better than themselves. Now, it does not say others are better than you. Nowhere does Scripture say others are better than you. It says we're all in the same boat, but it says to esteem others, to honor them, is better than yourself. And so that you cannot do for selfish motive. At least I haven't found a way... To make it happen. And so verse 4 cements this section. Look out not only for your own interests, but the interests of others.
That word interests. Um, there's a lot of different ways you can look at that word. But I think the most palatable would be that another person's interest in working for the kingdom. That doesn't mean if someone likes stamp collecting that all of a sudden you uh, look out for stamps for everybody who's stamp collecting. doesn't necessarily mean that. That's an interest, but that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about, if someone says, I really feel the need, what was it, eight and a half years ago? Was it Amy that started the food pantry? She felt this need. She works now on Wendy's, right? She, she can't, she can't unload the truck, she's gotta work. But are we not looking out for something that she was interested in and doing that as a church? That was her interest, but we all worked together in that. And that is work of God. It's an amazing work of God that we're doing these many years later. I'm saying eight and a half years. I don't know exactly when it started. Because I've been here seven and a quarter. And it's been here before me a year at least. I don't know if it happened uh, in an interim after Don or while he was still here. But I, I, I don't have that answer. But I can tell you this. That the interest is when someone says, you know, I'd really like to work with the kids. And you go, eh, go ahead. I don't like working with kids. That's not what it means. It means take interest in and say, I'm really glad you're doing that. Is there something I can do to help? I can't look with the kids, but I can help you other ways. Is there anything I can do to help? Because your gifting may not be handling four-year-olds. I don't know what your gifting is at handling four-year-olds, but if someone's is, don't discourage them. Encourage them. And look out for that interest to make sure that you're investing in the ministry they believe God wants them to do. Is that a better way to say that? That you're investing in the ministry they believe God wants them to do. That you're not discouraging them. If you're encouraging them, and since there's anything I can do to help that, that, that I know how to do, I'm here to be a resource for you. I hope any way I can. I don't know a lot, but I can help somehow. Or maybe you know a lot about it. And say, yeah, I used to do that at this one church, right? Let me tell you how this happened for me. This really, really touched me when it happened. Um, I was brand new in the ministry. It was in the 80s. Um, and uh, I had already served as a youth pastor at one church uh, as an internship. And I was getting ready to go to another one that was more directly involved with the school that I was attending seminary at. And... Um, and I asked one of the guys in the seminary, so I'm getting ready to start, how do you do it? And he said, well, this is how I do it. Maybe you can do it like that. And he showed me a way to do it. And I thought, okay, that's pretty cool. And so when I went to the new church, I began to learn the youth. And I asked for a meeting with the parents of the kids. And at that meeting, I said, I've done this for a little while. I'm thinking about some things to make this youth program really take off. And I'm wondering... Are you willing to be invested in this program? 
not just in your children, but in this program. And one of the men there, not a woman, but a man, said, you know, I love working with youth. I love kids. I'll do anything you want. And I've done some stuff. And he threw out some ideas and he said, I'll walk right alongside you. I'll be there. If you need to talk about some ideas, I'm here. And I went, thank God I had someone on my side. Could you imagine trying to start something without help or someone to be with you? It's a very lonely place. And this is what happened was he was interested in my interest, which just so happened to be pretty close in line with some of his. So always, if you will, look out for the interests of others as it pertains to the kingdom of God. And I think that is a very important understanding of these four verses. I'm going to stop there. Any comments, questions, thoughts?